Welcome to Two Open Doors, the podcast that explores our power to open or close the doors of relationship with the important people in our lives. We hope you'll learn from and share your wisdom with our community. Thanks for joining us. As adults, we make decisions that shape our lives. We have the opportunity to choose actions and a life path that suits our goals and our needs. We're each ultimately responsible for our own happiness and for living a life that's meaningful to us. Our partners in life can support us, but they can't choose our path. In this episode, we'll consider the reality that we make personal decisions within the context of expectations and norms that society lays down for us. That sometimes creates a tension between what we might really want and what's socially expected of us. Navigating that balance can be challenging. When we have an important decision to make, one that might affect both us and those dear to us, what factors shape our decision-making? We might like to think that logic and reason are the drivers behind our decision-making. In reality, though, findings in current social and affective neuroscience suggest that our reasoning is often, if not always, a post-decision rationalization of choices that are based on our subconscious emotional assessment and motivation. As researcher Robert Sajonk has proposed, Decisions are made with little to no cognitive process. We make judgments first, and then seek to justify those judgments by rationalization. If this is true, we need to understand how our subliminal decision-making works. It's undoubtedly based on many things, including our current emotional state, our beliefs, our mostly learned preferences, and our perceptions. Human children are very programmable. We come into this world with very few biologically preset biases. Instead, we absorb what we're taught and exposed to in childhood and beyond. We learn to have preferences, and we learn to see and interpret the world in certain ways. It's unlikely that any two people experience the world in exactly the same way. Because we're raised in a particular society, we're exposed to all of the perspectives, biases, and rules of behavior of that society. Those can play a huge role in how we interact with others, both in social transactions and in our relationships. As we experience life, we discover what we like and what we dislike, what gives us meaning and satisfaction, and what we see as meaningless distractions. Coming to know ourselves creates a potential tension between our likes and desires, versus what society tells us is good and right. That conflict sets a stage for our lifelong efforts to know and fully become ourselves. Our personal relationships touch all aspects of our lives. Those aspects include our beliefs about our personal rights and responsibilities, our relationship with pleasure, our beliefs about what constitutes a righteous life, and our beliefs about what we can expect from the people that we establish intimate connections with. To a great extent, our relationships can thus become a crucible in which our balance of self and society is refined. What happens when our personal preferences and desires collide with social norms and dictates? There's no one answer to that question beyond the generalization that sparks can fly. For some who have accepted social perspectives as unquestioned ground truth, the conflict is likely to be resolved in favor of the social guidance. In that case, personal desires may be discarded or even repressed. Such a resolution isn't especially psychologically healthy for the decision-maker since it relegates the importance of self to second position behind external social dictates. That can lead to unthinking, unquestioning, dogmatic behavior. 
At the other extreme, some people may do their best to discount or ignore social expectations. Such people take rugged individualism to an extreme, taking seeming joy in putting their figurative thumb in society's eye. That sort of behavior ignores the reality that, as humans, we are interdependent on one another, which means that we must balance our personal desires with the needs of society. A society in which there are too many individuals with this perspective probably cannot function very well. In the me-versus-society tug-of-war, both perspectives need to be considered. Social dictates shouldn't be allowed to submerge and displace a person's own desires and perspectives. Similarly, personal goals and desires shouldn't result in ignoring reasonable social expectations and norms for behavior. There's a middle ground to be found. As we've noted in many prior episodes, self-knowledge is a prerequisite for keeping oneself on a sound path through life. If we know our superficial likes and dislikes, but are not really in touch with the things that bring us lasting meaning, we're unlikely to be able to choose activities and partners that can promote real satisfaction. We'll be susceptible to picking incompatible partners, or activities that may please but compromise us, such as addictive drug use, or that may undermine our relationships, such as activities that satisfy our desires at a cost to our partners. With self-knowledge, we become aware of the things that truly matter to us. We become more able to sift what is at our core from the more superficial things. Armed with that understanding of ourselves, we are able to balance the compromises that we make to live in society, including with our partners, against avoiding making choices that can compromise our personal integrity, that is, our core needs and concerns. The resulting flexibility lets us exist in society while remaining true to ourselves. The process of acquiring self-knowledge requires that we become conscious of what our current beliefs and feelings are. Many of our beliefs were acquired during our childhood from our parents and from other family members, from our peers, and from institutions such as schools and churches. Of course, each of those sources of beliefs has its own history and its own agenda. In many cases, what we're taught is intended to shape us so as to fill specific social roles in specific ways. As an example, churches and organized religions have a goal of promoting certain worldviews and certain modes of behavior. It's an unfortunate but not surprising reality that such organizations seek to increase their influence and power in society. Those goals can sometimes be in conflict with what is demonstrably in the best interest of members, such as supporting critical thinking and the exercise of moral judgment. Instead, they may promote blind faith and strict and unquestioning adherence to certain standards of behavior. Such an emphasis can reduce the essential focus on personal judgment and responsibility. It amounts to funky programming that we internalize. In my coaching work, I promote a notion that I call rechoicing. In brief, rechoicing describes the process of becoming fully conscious of one's choices and then selecting the directions that are most consistent with who one is, that is, with one's chosen goals and sources of joy and pleasure. That term is intentionally rhymed with rejoicing because when a person applies their personal power in making informed life choices that suit them well, the results are likely to be joy-inducing for that person. It's the work of a lifetime to re-examine our beliefs, to determine which of those serve us and which don't, and perhaps never did, and then to change our beliefs accordingly. It's hard work, which can put us through the uncomfortable position of having to navigate without absolute certainties in life. In accepting that discomfort and effort, though, we take back our personal power from the people and organizations to which we may have previously given it. 
In so doing, we become better able to live life in the way that best fits us. Our relationships benefit from that because we can become able to act thoughtfully and with integrity. As in The Matrix, once we choose the red pill, we are no longer able to live in the comfortable delusion that the blue pill provides. For those who aspire to live a full and authentic life, though, there is no workable alternative path. To learn more about Two Open Doors and to engage with our community, I'd like to invite you to visit the Two Open Doors private Facebook group, the Two Open Doors meetup group, and the Two Open Doors website at twoopendoors.com. I also invite you to contact me directly by writing to me at claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at twoopendoors.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll use your inputs to guide my work on future blog posts and podcast episodes. Thanks for visiting Two Open Doors.